0: Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig Dillon, the Head of Policy at Commonweal. Almost every community in Scotland has a story to tell about land being underused or misused around them. Almost everywhere I've been, I've met people who have a story about a field that's been left fallow for decades, or a gap between two buildings where something has been demolished and never replaced. A fenced-off patch of scrabble with a new forest growing in it, or even a crumbling ruin that used to be the keystone of the high street. Land left derelict in Scotland is more than an eyesore. It represents wasted resources and potential, and can even suppress the vitality of the community living around it. My guest this week is Cathy Pollard from the Scottish Land Commission, who have recently been studying and campaigning about Scotland's derelict land, where it is, and how we can reclaim it. Welcome Cathy, thank you for coming onto the show.
1: Hi Craig, thank you very much
0: for having me. So my first question is the most basic of all. Who are the Scottish Land Commission? What do you do?
1: So the Scottish Land Commission is a non-departmental public body. We were set up as a result of the Land Reform Act of 2016 and we were created in April 2017 and we're essentially producing policy and practice advice uh, to support Scottish government thinking around land reform.
0: On the topic of derelict land specifically, what is the formal definition of derelict land and how does it differ from other land that might be underused or misused for or sometimes an extended period of time?
1: That's a really important question to start off with because the Scottish Government has a vacant and derelict land register and that register sets out very clearly what vacant and derelict land is. And there's a a formal definition for derelict land which suggests that land uh, that has been so badly damaged by development that it is incapable of development for beneficial use without rehabilitation there's a sort of fairly lengthy definition there both for derelict and vacant land but what we've found is that the, it, it's quite difficult to define derelict uh, and vacant land due to the, the whole range and, and complex nature of dereliction and um, it could be a site that is already slightly greener where nature is taking over um, the site again so it, it might not be immediately obvious that it is contaminated or, or derelict um, equally there are very small sites that don't fit the requirements of the register so sites need to be over 0.1 hectares uh, to, to be on the vacant and derelict land register that are equally vacant and derelict and affecting communities so although the definition um, through the Scottish uh, Government's vacant and derelict land register is really helpful I suppose what I'm saying is that the the problem of vacancy and dereliction is far far more complicated and actually it's, it's how communities are, and the local environment are impacted by land that can actually um highlight the problem of vacancy and dereliction.
0: Hmm. It's interesting you bring up the, the story of contamination in land I've, I've recently been studying and researching about um, the impact of for example tree growth especially willow growth on contaminated land and trying to find out the health and safety aspects of using that wood there's quite a lot of research as it turns out about using that wood in biomass burners um but none for example about the, he- the health and safety implications about using the, wo- the wood for say willow weaving uh, if you use contaminated willow to weave a basket is that a health hazard that's a, a story for another podcast, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone knows the answer to that, by the <laughs> way, come on to the show. I'd love to talk to you.
1: Sure, I, just, I think you part, there, are, there are interesting, you know, examples of, of vacant dialect sites that aren't on the register. Um, they're not, all, not all vacant dialect sites are recorded by local authorities either. So there's potentially much more than meets the eye with some of these mm. sites. Uh, and I think that's sort of the main point, really, it's that you, you need to actually speak to the communities, um, go and visit the sites um and, and update the register accordingly.
0: Hmm. Yeah, again, certainly in my experience, I know the I know the derelict and the, the underused land around me and uh, in our community. So yeah, that, that community knowledge is 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 vital. Um but with all those caveats in my mind, how much of Scotland's land is currently classified as, as derelict?
1: So there are around eleven thousand, just under eleven thousand hectares of vacant derelict land recorded in Scotland. That's around two Dundee's worth of vacant derelict land. So an awful lot. Um, it's it's all very different in nature. So there's the complexities of the sites range, the the scale, um, the proximities to communities. So it's, it's fragmented. Um, but we did more research into. Um, the types of derelict land that exist within communities that are um mostly clustered in around the western central part of scotland and those are the sites that we think uh could be tackled as a as a priority there's around a third of the Scottish population lives within 500 meters of a derelict site so clearly we need to start looking at um derelict sites that are within our communities and the Scottish Lion Commission did some further research into the the types of vacant derelict sites that are on the register and identified around 600 sites that are long-term derelict um, and these have been on on the register for around twenty years or more, so we call them the Dusties. It's a very catchy acronym, um, but that that is actually being picked up uh, by policymakers and, and uh, planners across Scotland. So the Dusties, the derelict urban sites since 2000s and earlier, are actually the sites that we'd quite like to focus on, due to their long term residency, I suppose, on the register, but also because they're they're you ex- know in the hearts of our communities. Um, they're often quite uh costed um there are links to derelict sites within higher higher areas of multiple deprivation so i think tackling these long-term derelict sites um will require a real place-based approach thinking about what what amenities what missed opportunities there are as a result of those derelict sites so um there is a lot of detail on our website and, and a map actually of, of where these sites exist they are often clustered in the central belt western central belt and um, former industrial heartlands um but there are of course vacant derelict sites across scotland um, but these these dusties are are taken from the register and, and further analysis lies behind those
0: i'll put a link to the, that map in particular uh, in the description of the podcast it's something that i've used myself uh, when investigating my own area um, because there's a, a a section of land near just on the outskirts of a, of a village that used to be an old railway cutting, an old railway verge. Even um, the, the railway was was closed in the beaching cuts in the in the nineteen sixties. So it's it's absolutely it's been, it's been derelict for that long, um, mm-hmm. with no real plan on how we can bring it back into uh, into use. So yeah, it's definitely something that's right on my doorstep.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting example of where a member of the community has come across a a bit of derelict land or a vacant building um, and it might not fit the criteria of the vacant derelict land register but one of the recommendations that the Scottish land commission and the the vacant derelict land task force made was linked to how we use data and actually better data and more data sets uh, a more accessible platform where you can essentially find out those bits of information to Complete the picture around this site and actually help bring it back into use are really key to to bringing these unloved spaces back into into life. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you mentioned a little bit about sort of where this uh, where this vacant derelict land is. Um, you know, cl- a lot of clusters around the central belt, um, but in general, is this predominantly an urban issue? Is it a, a more rural issue? Is it both?
1: It's it's both, it varies. I mean you've got you've got former open car sites um, in rural locations, you've got uh, empty high streets and derelict buildings and smaller towns and settlements. So it's it, it does vary, but as I say, the the issue that we found is the long-term derelict urban sites, the, the sites that are perhaps harder to, to tackle tend to be the ones that that remain on the register. Um, and, and our, our issues in, in urban areas and settlements, um, that's not to say that we shouldn't be looking at solutions across different types of vacant and derelict land, but um, due to the links to inequality and, and um, improving local amenities and local economies, I think these, these should be Scotland's priorities to address.
0: Why is it important that we have those priorities? I, mean, I suppose there will be economic benefits, but what are the other benefits involved around that?
1: Mm, sure. Um, well, there's another thing just to add to that, that actually it's many of the vacant sites are on the register um, for a short period of time. Essentially, they're, they're lower hanging fruits. It could be part of land supply that just gets churned and reused used to, for housing or for other Uh, end uses. However, the derelict sites, uh, I would say, are are major opportunities um, within the hearts of our communities to transform these for for green spaces. Like I said, some of these sites are already naturalizing and nature's taking over, um, so they could be designated as, as a green space to support the wider health benefits of, of the area but equally they could be uh, they could be growing spaces they could be housing and um, there's, there's a whole range of end uses renewable energy is potentially an exciting um exciting prospect for some communities i think the key is to actually engage with the area and and, and ask what people need and, and want in those spaces um, and you might find that there's already a, a very active community that is is keen to take on a site for, um, and we've got great examples of uh, work happening with communities looking at active travel, for example, an active travel hub in uh, the Vale of Leven, and there's some uh, case studies on our website that show, that are showing what communities' are, ambitions are for these sites. Um, so there's a whole range of um, end uses, and linked to that, we did some work to look at. The wider economic benefits looking more holistically at these benefits that that regeneration can deliver so much some of these stuck sites won't be um brought forward to the market because they're not seen as viable they're expensive to de-risk and and, and won't be uh, seen as essentially uh, profitable um projects however if you look at the long-term impact of bringing these sites back into use, onto health, your local environment, biodiversity, um, there's a real opportunity for these places to deliver a longer-term benefits. For example, we've got, a, we've got an example in Whishaw, the Whishaw Hill Wood Pump Track, And they're looking at cost uh, cost savings of up to £2,000 saved every time that the fire service isn't called out to deal with antisocial behaviour that was on that site previously. So it just takes a very different approach to, um, I suppose, appraising these projects, considering the the wider economic cost of these projects um, on derelict land. I think we need to really start thinking and and embedding in practice.
0: That example could have hints at the, uh, my next question uh, at that is there a, a, a downside risk to not redeveloping the uh, derelict land Isn't that perhaps um, what's known as a broken window effect where if there is derelict land in a community, it can set off a, a downward spiral of negativity in the community. People don't invest in it. Therefore, the rest of the community starts to run down and things just get worse. Yeah, I, and,
1: and our research supports that, that... Um, the idea that the way that communities feel about a vacant derelict site when they walk past it every day, it can have a negative impact and um, we, the research that we did with um, Kevin Murray Associates, Glasgow Caledonia University and, and Stantec suggests that the consequences of living near such sites could uh, really significantly impact well-being, um, health, environmental impact so for example looking at the contamination or, or um sort of littering and flight like, so on those can have it can have a negative environmental impact but also the sense of social cohesion and actually it's sort of separating and fragmenting um a community being a literal barrier potentially to mm-hmm. so joining it up um but also just any attachments to the to a site in terms of legacy and history of a site of a place if there's an abandoned building that used to be used for something that was a real cornerstone of the community it's, it obviously has a sense uh, has an impact on the sense of community um so again that's why it's important to to actually engage with meaningfully engage with communities around uh what that what the impact is but also what the opportunities linked to that site could be
0: now you said that Often the, these 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 dusty sites, the sites that have been uh, vacant and derelict for a long time, it's often because the where there has been an attempt to regenerate, it, it has gone for the easier, the low-hanging fruits um, in terms of vacant land. Um, what are the char- challenges involved in bringing this derelict land back into use? Um, well, they
1: range. Uh, and, and an initial piece of research that the Land Commission did to look at the so the The scale and nature of vacant and derelict land across Scotland identified that there are issues relating to ownership and identifying uh, who owns the site. Um, It could be not having enough information about the site constraints in terms of planning um, flood risk, for example, or history of planning applications. Um, There's there's a whole range of, of reasons why these sites may not come forward for development. And I suppose our recommendations, um, the Bacon and Land Task Force recommendations suggested ways in which these sites could be delivered by the market. So by the public sector can help make the case for intervention and help de-risk those sites, but also the types of information required for other actors, um, the public sector, private sector, community groups uh, to, to, to step in and, and take forward these sites. So I think, key message for me really is more information um, can be a huge uh huge um opportunity to unblock some of these challenges and actually on the on the issue of ownership the land commission has produced a community ownership route map which is hopefully a really helpful resource to signpost you to different organizations um, the, the a register of, uh, of landowners that can help navigate the complex area of, of land ownership in this particular vacant derelict land context.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, um, while not a, an example of derelict land, uh, our village recently took community ownership of a patch of woodland just on the out- outskirts of the village, so there's a bit of an interest around here about that sort of community reclaiming the land around us. yeah.
1: Uh, Yes, and and, and there are a lot of great things happening, communities taking ownership, but I suppose that might not be, it might not always be appropriate or feasible for a community to to take ownership, um, which is why we're stressing that communities do still need to participate in that process. But there are incredibly complex challenges as well associated with some of these long term derelict sites. So it's ensuring that um, any issues relating to the contamination or the status of that that land are are made up front uh, are made clear up front so that the prospective uh land new landowner can can tackle those and linked to that i suppose is the issue of funding as well um and actually ensuring that there is investment and, and funding available for these sites to be uh, the, the challenges for these, of these sites to be addressed and i'm really pleased to um I've seen the Scottish Government's recent announcement of £50 million pounds of vacant dialect plan investment programme funding. That's for local authorities to, to apply to, take the lead on, working in partnership. Collaboration is a really key part of this new fund. So there's there's hopefully more funding there available for local authorities to work in partnership to deliver uh, place-based solutions.
0: Mm, excellent. Excellent. Um, can you share a couple of any examples you have of, of derelict land, especially some of these dusty sites that you've been talking about being successfully reclaimed?
1: I've got a, a really nice example in Glasgow showing the multiple benefits um, that these sites can deliver. Um, it's the Baltic Street Adventure Playground. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a, an outdoor learning space and it's a community interest company that had taken over this um, long-term derelict site made it safe. It's in an area of multiple deprivation, and it's provided children with a, a safe place to to play, learn, discover. And I think um, if you speak to anyone involved in the project, uh, we know that that this has led to a feeling of, or parents feeling that their children have somewhere safe uh, locally to go to and, and um, enjoy nature and and obviously develop all these other. Important skills and just enjoy being outside. And I think around 250 children um, in that area now have safe uh, ha- now have access to a safe outdoor space. So that's that's one really great example that I like to highlight. And there are a few others. So we've got the uh, another example is the Social Bike Village in Edinburgh uh, as part of the Granton Waterfront Redevelopment. Mm. This is a unique project um, where social and the social enterprise social buy has secured a long term lease from the council on a, on a vacant site. And it's allowed for up to 20 people who are currently living um, in temporary accommodation to um, to live for 12 to 18 months, um, supporting them uh, out of that cycle of, of homelessness. So, again, that's a really um innovative and and different use of of the space that is so important that we think of more um, sort of multifunctional uses of these spaces.
0: And I should say that my, my theme for the podcast this year is uh, communities. I really want to find people who are doing interesting things in hidden corners of Scotland so we can highlight your story and uh, maybe inspire others to do something similar or, or, or even something different, knowing that it can be done. So if any if anyone out there is listening who is part of the, those projects mentioned or is doing something interesting or has reclaimed some derelict land in your community, please get in touch. I'd love to have you on the show to tell your story in particular.
1: Yes, I think, uh, particularly in relation to communities taking on um, projects that are dealing with climate change as well, and yes. the climate emergency, I think there's some great initiatives such as uh, Lockervoir in Glasgow, and I know they're they're slowly expanding across other parts of Scotland, but the urban market garden idea is also really um, exciting, yes. uh, and there's an old tennis court that Lockervoir had taken over in Glasgow. Um, there's some stats around how how many tons I think it's 200 tons of carbon dioxide emissions savings that were made per year as a result of, of that particular project so it's food security it's it's climate um, tackling climate emergency so I think it's these win-win situations that we need to be thinking about.
0: Now the, the land commission recently had a campaign about uh, vacant and derelict land. It was last month. Uh, unfortunately, completely my fault. I wanted to try and get 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 you onto the show in time to promote that as it was ongoing, but schedule didn't allow it. Um, but can you tell us about that campaign? What its aims were and how did it go? What was the response?
1: Yes, Craig. And don't worry, we have recorded all the sessions. They can be found on our YouTube channel. Um, but Land Reuse Month. Um, had over 40 different speakers from local authorities, public sector um, and third sector organisations. And, and the key there was really to show showcase the good practice, case studies um, of public sector leading the way in land reuse. And we were really trying to encourage and develop a connection between practitioners to show what can be done and um, we highlighted examples of the Development Trust Association working together with communities and local authorities to deliver better community-led regeneration and um, to raise awareness of the role of of local authorities as stewards of the land, landowners with responsibilities and rights, um, but also very practical things that could be done in relation to funding and planning So hopefully all those resources um, will be used and also just a community of of practice, I suppose, be created uh, through these these series of events. So so that's just a wee snippet of of Land Reduce Month.
0: One final question to to kind of round out the show. Um, I've talked a a bit about examples in my area and it's something I'd like to get involved in a bit more as well. But there will also be communities around Scotland who have a bit of derelict land near them Maybe they want to do something with it. Maybe they have a specific idea of what they want to do with it. How can they start going about that process of bringing that land back into use?
1: Our website is a good place to start. Um, And I'm not just saying that as part of a shameless (laughs) self-promotion, but the roadmap that I alluded to earlier is probably a really helpful starting point. It's a web page, so it's a click-through web page that would support communities uh, to help collate the right bits of information, to get a picture of who owns the site, whether it's it's community ownership that that they're pursuing or whether it's actually just the need to do something about the site and to raise it in various processes, such as planning, local planning decisions. Um, So it it would help eliminate uh, and sort of set the right direction of travel for a community group. There are also other organisations such as um, Community Ownership Support Service, which is part of DTAS, the Development Trust Association Scotland, They've got a lot of information about the community ownership route, um, but equally local authorities should be well placed to support any community um in terms of, of the right planning documents and anything else that's required to support that, that application. And there's plenty of good examples and case studies as well out there on our website um, that can give you an inspiration uh and potentially other people to speak to, actually, um, just to create a network of. of Uh, communities
0: that are doing um, similar things across Scotland. We'll put some links um, to some information in the description of this podcast. Um, And to my listeners, if you are involved in a community project that's taking taking derelict land back into use, again, please get in touch. I would love to hear your story. Now, Thank you, Cathy, for, for coming on to the show. It has been a fascinating chat and, and best of luck with the, the response to, to that campaign and the ongoing campaign to, to, to regenerate Scotland.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And I'll just close out the podcast, as I always do, by reminding people that Commonweal as an organisation is entirely funded by our donors and supporters. We're not paid by the government. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't even have adverts on our website. So everything we do, from our policies to our campaigns to this podcast, is all supported by our donors who give an average of £10 a month. Um, So if you're in a position to help us out and help promote... Um, our own projects, then we gratefully, gratefully appreciate that. Um, For everyone else, thank you for coming and listening to the Common Real Policy podcast. Please share it around, discuss it, and please come back next week.